the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized in 2012 as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground for Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. Those of you not used to the show, it's usually in two parts. The first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. The second part of the show, we interview people. We talk about politics, history, religion, and baseball. And tonight, we're going to be talking a little bit about baseball with our good friend, Ron Hunt. Another good friend of ours is coming on, Father Paul Belecki from the Middle East. So it should be an interesting show. In the meanwhile, estate planning, the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. Now, my wife Beth is busy this week, so we drafted Justin Daly, who's been on the show a few times. He called himself, I think, the disagreeable Irishman in our firm. Yes, uh, that would be accurate. (laughs) Well, it depends what disagreeable is, but... uh, Justin does most of our, he's in charge of our real estate department here at Connors and Sullivan, and he's pinch hitting for Beth, and he's got an email question he's going to read to us. Uh, Yes, we got an email question from Bernadette. Good day. My father recently died of a massive heart attack at the age of 58. My parents got divorced 10 years ago, and although my brother and I live with our mother, dad has very much in my picture. My father's will, written very soon after their divorce, leaves everything to me. It specifically leaves nothing to my brother. Still, my mother and brother think I should split everything in half and give my brother his share. My mother had an insurance policy on my father that will pay her, by the way. Besides his condo worth about 500000 with no mortgage, he's left a retirement account of 330000 with just me as a beneficiary, and another 400000 is in his brokerage account, which he inherited from his parents. Please tell me what you would do, Bernadette. Well, it's very hard to put, you know, for us to put ourselves in your shoes. But your father's will left it to you. He planned things out. Justin, what would you do? Bernadette, uh, I, I really don't know why you would give your brother anything unless, uh, you know, it's from the goodness of your heart, I guess. I mean, you can gift it over to him, but it's a gift. So there's also implications there tax-wise. Uh, you know, your dad wanted you to have this. Yeah. You should follow through with his wishes. You know, one of the things I would say, you know, the language, give him his share, but it's not his share. That's why we do a will. Who do you want to leave your assets to? Now, if you think 
your brother deserves it for whatever reason you think it's right, you certainly could make a gift to him out of your share. But that's what you're doing. You're making a gift. You don't have to do this. What's family peace worth? You know, is it worth money? Yes. You know, it's, it's better to have family peace and have less money. But at the same time, you got to think, why did your father do this? He must have had his reasoning because not only did he list you as, as beneficiary on the accounts, he wrote a will, he named you as beneficiary on the will. He certainly knew he was only 58 years of age. He certainly knew about your brother. He certainly knew what he might want to do. So why did he do a will? He left it to you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he went out of his way. This were this is what his wishes are. Uh, I mean, I can't imagine, again, other than, as Mr. Connors points out, uh, keeping the family peace, if you if that's more important to you than the money, then surely. But uh, your brother has no right other than what he perceives as his share, it sounds like to me. Which that's what worries me was when it was, I mean, I know we're quoting people and we say his share, but it's not his share. It's what you want to give him out of your share, out of the kindness of your heart. And if you want to do it, believe me, that's a nice thing to do. Yeah, certainly. Every week, Kevin McCullough asks another question, and we're going to be hearing from Kevin McCullough right now. Take it away, Kevin. Hi, Kevin McCullough. Every single week, we promise you that you'll hear from Mike Connors answer a very specific question from a listener regarding elder care and estate law and uh, some of the ramifications of what that means to our lives. Do you have a will? Are you are you set if, in case something happened? Well, that's what Connors and Sullivan are all about, and that's what Mike Connors, who's with us uh, every single week, uh, seeks to help people with as well. And you can hear his broadcast uh, Saturday mornings at 8 o'clock on AM 570, The Mission, and Saturday evenings at 6 on AM 970, The Answer. But, Mike, this week, Luca wrote us and had this question. I have a will that was done years ago, and the witnesses to my will have since passed away. Is there any problem? Should I sign a new will with new witnesses? Mike Connors, what's the best way to go? All right. Ordinarily, it's not a problem in and of itself. But if the will was signed so many years ago, we have to. procedures have changed slightly. The law has not changed. Procedures have changed. So if the signatures of the witnesses to the will were notarized, we're probably okay. If they were not notarized, which was not the procedure, let's say, about 30 years ago now, then I would update the will because in that case, what we would have to do if we needed to probate the will, we would have to get somebody who could identify the signatures of witnesses and say, yes, that was my uncle's signature or whatever, and that's a true copy of his signature. And sometimes tracking down people after 30 years is not easy. Yeah. Well, that Better makes... update it. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's better to just get the update. Friends, maybe you have a will that you've got the same question about, or maybe you have another question about your will. Obviously, listen to Mike Connors on uh, Ask the Lawyer every weekend, but also call his office because his uh, entire team is ready to help you. 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. You can also leave a question for him for uh, the Ask the Lawyer question each week, or you can email them at mikeconnors at gmail.com, mikeconnors at gmail.com. Mike Connors, thanks so much. Thanks again to Kevin McCullough. And don't forget to listen to Kevin Monday through Friday at 5 o'clock, of course. I think on Wednesday nights now, he's on at 4 o'clock because John Katzmatidis is taking the 5 o'clock hour. Now, later in the show, we're going to be talking to Father Paul, Father Paul Balicki from the Middle East. And, and Justin, I know you've spoken to Father Paul a number of times. I, I have. I have had the pleasure. And I've actually, you know, more to the point, I've, I've heard him speak. And, uh, you know, you can hear... You can go listen to many people speak and, and tell their story and, and describe what they do. And uh, every time I hear Father Paul speak, I personally get chills. Just the the work that he does in the Middle East um, in service of the poor, the sick, 
uh, you know, and the refugees is amazing. He's a truly amazing person. And, you know, again, like I said, every time I hear him speak, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those moments you get chills down your spine, I'd say. Yeah. And, you know, I met him some years back. Some people asked me how I met him. I met him some years back. It was at a Cardinal's birthday party of whoever was the papal nuncio to the U.N., one of my friends had to buy a table and invited me to join him at the table. And when I first got there at the bar, they had 10 Capuchin friars lined up at the bar. So you couldn't get to the, you couldn't get a drink at the bar because you got these 10 guys in brown robes up there. So I, I just made one comment. I said, do you have to be a Franciscan to, to get a drink here? And one guy turned around. He says, where are you from? I said, Brooklyn. He says, yeah, I grew up in Brooklyn. And we started talking and, and he was the provincial of the local Capuchins. After we started talking for a few minutes, you know what? I'm going to introduce you to the most brilliant guy in our order. And he introduced me to Father Paul. It was, I think, Christmas Eve, a few days before Christmas. Beth invited him over for Christmas Eve, so he had a place to go for Christmas Eve besides the provincial house. And we became friends after that. He is a great speaker. He's, as, as he says himself, he's not politically correct. <laughs> and, you know, he is from Poland. He's born in Poland, educated in France, so he doesn't really care about what we think in the United States. He just wants to speak the truth. So, and, and, Father Paul is going to have his insights in the situation in Syria. He's testified in Washington, Senate hearings on what happened there. And he's pretty sure Assad is behind the uh, the chemical weapons. We'll be listening to him. Now, those of you, we're not always this serious because we're also talking about baseball. And we're talking to one of my favorite ex-Major League Baseball players, Ron Hunt, if not my favorite. He's always a character. He's always got something to say. So thank you for listening to the show. We're going to start first with Ron Hunt. Then we're going to go to Father Paul. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. Hello, this is Father Frank Pavone of Priests for Life. Do you want to hear your parish priest talk more about abortion and the pro-life movement? The key mission of Priests for Life is to help priests do exactly that. The first place to start is to listen to your priest and learn how he thinks. What is he most interested in and passionate about? Then, when you find out, link that issue with the abortion issue. For example, a priest who told me that he did not preach much about abortion also told me he was interested in efforts to stop drug abuse. When I told him that those who have abortions are more likely to abuse drugs, it gave him a new motive to preach about abortion. Find out more about how you can help your priest at priestsforlife.org. This is Father Frank Pavone, National Director of Priests for Life. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a, a burden to me. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. 
No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home. If you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. You're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org today. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. Again, most of you know out there, you know, I'm a Met fan. And of course, one of my greatest thrills as a Met fan was being at the All-Star Game in 1964 and see Ron Hunt start the game at second base for the National League All-Stars as a representative of the New York Mets. And we're very proud to have Ron Hunt on with us again today. How you doing, Ron? Well, it's good to be back. It's good to be back with the New York people. I got Sally Hemus. I remember him because he's the one that got me started on the game and Taking ground balls all the time and make sure I hustle all the time. That way you never know who's watching you. Then I got uh, oh, some dream weekers. I ain't, I ain't been to New York since uh, the Major League Baseball invited me to the closing of Shea Stadium. So it's been a while since I've seen my friends. And I got about 50, 60 friends there that, uh, that I date back to the, the old dream weeks. And uh, I'm going to look forward to seeing them. And Louise, who gave me those seats to the, to the ballpark, to the All-Star game when the Cloche Stadium. She's in the hospital, and she's wanting to see me. And, and uh, oh, I don't know. I'm just uh, about a bunch of people that uh, I've stayed in touch with. I'm a good friend. I'm some bitch is an enemy, but I'm a good friend. <laughs> and i got a bunch of people that I've stayed in touch with, and they've stayed in touch with me, and I'm going to get a chance to see them again. Okay, well, getting back, a couple of weeks ago, we had Faye Vincent on our show, and he was saying, in his opinion, legalized gambling is going to be passed. The Supreme Court's going to knock down a lot of the restrictions. He doesn't like it, but he says it's uh, something that's going to happen. What do you think about legalized gambling as far as baseball is concerned? Well, I go back to the guy that was, uh, who was he? He was a teamster, and he shook his hand, he shook his hand for right. <laughs> and I don't think much gambling, and I don't think much doping. Yeah, this crap that Piazza did with the steroids and allowing these stats to be loved when they did uh, drugs. So I don't think much of them uh, saying that gambling's okay to do. That's bullshit, too. And Pete Rose was in uniform. So you're going to tell me that he, he bet on a game that he was going to lose or he bet on a game that he was going to win? Uh, didn't and he had to, he had the, the pencil and the pen and paper and he could change what he wanted to. So I think that's bullshit too. You know, the argument from the other side, and of course, I don't agree with it, but the argument for the other side, that they only proved that Pete Rose bet on his own team to win. The other side of the coin is when he didn't bet on his own team, everybody knew it in the gambling world. Well, I agree. He had no, and it, it was written in the dugout, <clears throat> written in the clubhouse in English, French, Mexican, Cuban, Puerto Rican, whatever the national 
whatever voice he spoke in, and said, don't gamble on baseball when you're in uniform, period. So he did it, and he knew it was wrong, so he has to pay the price. Now, getting back a little bit, back in baseball history, in, in 1963... Uh, Pete Rose won Rookie of the Year. Who was the runner-up? I was, but I had better stats. I know you had better stats. That's why I'm bringing it up. You know, even... Oh, well, I had better stats. Why did he win the Rookie well, of the Year? I... Anyway, I don't care. <laughs> I, I get a chance to play. I had to play four years in the majors to be eligible for pension. Today, they got one day. And I played for $7,000. My rookie salary, what are they making today? 450000 more than that. And they and I, and I had to run the first base. These guys don't have to do nothing if they don't want to. And then I had, I had 18 operations, 15 of them due to baseball. I had four concussions. Concussions in our day was they took you to the hospital, showed x-rays, showed nothing, so you were in the field the next day. Today they got to suck on their thumb and take a week off. <laughs> let, me, let me ask you something. Does Pete Rose belong in the Hall of Fame? I know your answer, but explain why. No. Why? Well, because he cheated. He cheated on baseball. He broke a rule. You break the rules, you you pay the penalty. Same way with these potheads, uh, Bonds and uh, McGuire. Hell, they're still in the record book. That's illegal. They broke the rules. Uh, That pitcher with the Yankees, he broke the rules. He still wasn't in the Hall of Fame. I think it's a joke. What about the guys that you don't know about? Well, I'll tell you what. You hire me and I'll watch... uh, I don't give a shit. I'm a man. I'll watch him pee in the cup and I won't touch him. You know that uh, biker guy? What was that biker guy? Lance Armstrong? I the bike for, yeah, I no. used him as a example for years and he cheated. And he pissed me off because I, I, I told my kids, I said, he said, hey, get up at 8 in the morning, pee in the jar, give him the jar, and go back to sleep if you got nothing to hide. Well, the problem today, they, they don't care if they got anything to hide. They, they won't do anything with them. And I think that's a bunch of garbage. Let's go back in time a little bit. 1963. You're sold by what? The Milwaukee Braves to the New York Mets. I was sold in 62. Right. Went to, well, I went to Florida. They were going to send me down to Puerto Rico, Mexico. I said, no, I'm not going down there. They said, well, you go to Florida. I said, yeah, it's in the United States, isn't it? They said, yeah. So I went down to Florida. Ran across Sally Hemus, Eddie Stanky, Paul Wayner. Casey Stingle and Cookie Rahoff, and they all taught little ball, and that's the way I played the game, and I, I was lucky enough to run, run across Sally Hemus, who scouted me in the, in the minors, and also coached me in the majors, and he told me, you know, just if somebody wanted to hit ground balls, go out there and take them. Don't sit on the bench. So I took a lot of ground balls. I guess that helped me. And then uh, I think uh, we went to spring training, in 63, and they were the first baseman they got from the Dodgers. Okay, he opened up his mouth to the press in case he kicked him off the team and had a little press conference and said, boys, you got something to say about me? Come to me. Don't go to the press. So I broke camp with number three of three second basemen, and we were in Philadelphia, I believe, and they're coming down the ramp, and I said, Casey, Ron Hunt, number 33, second base, because he didn't know names, he knew numbers. He said, yeah, what's going to do for you? I said, well, I want to play ball. And I remember you saying, come to you if you had a complaint. Well, I don't think Larry Burwright's doing a very good job offensively or defensively, and I'd like a chance to play. He said, son, you want to play that bad? He said, yes, I'll play tomorrow. So that's how I got my chance to play. And then I went to Sully and told Sully, he said, you dumb son of a bitch. Are you dumb ass? He said. I said, well, 
Casey told me to tell the truth. I remember him saying that in spring training and in that meeting. So I told him the truth. And by golly, I got a chance to play. So that was it. How is Casey Stengel as a manager? I thought he was good. I thought he was uh, outstanding as far as knowing uh, what what he needed, what he wanted, and what uh, what uh, dedication. And you didn't lie to Casey. He wasn't the type of manager that told you stuff, although he had coaches. He had Sally uh, Hemus, Paul Wainer, Eddie Stanky. Uh, who else he had? I guess he had the West Western. I don't know. West Western was a catching coach, wasn't he? Yes. Anyway, they, they took over the fundamentals on the on the game and I remember Eddie Stanky and, and uh, Sally Hemus in spring training saying well let's play in and get the guy at home that base is loaded we want to get the guy at home where do you play I said on the grass he said why I said because I was told to play in he said well what about the speed of the runner at third base I said I'll be down so I asked questions I got answers and no, you not necessarily have to play into the grass, depending on if you can throw the guy out with five or ten, ten feet deeper. You get more range, and you can still throw the guy out at home. So little things like that helped me out a great deal. In fact, uh, who was the first base? Gil Hodges. In spring training, I was, he, he didn't talk to us much, but I heard him talking to a veteran. I think it was, I don't know who it was, about his philosophy on hitting. And I'm sitting there peeling an orange. He said the outside pitch is the pitcher, the inside, the rest of the plate's mine. And I thought, damn, why couldn't that work? And just the opposite, since I'm not afraid of getting hit, I'll crowd the plate, the inside two inches is the pitcher. If he can hit it, otherwise he's going to hit me. The rest of the plate, I can hit him. So that helped my philosophy on hitting. So, you know, a bunch of guys said, well, you know, we were a bunch of losers in 62. Well, just because you lost a lot of game, you didn't have to be a loser else. Well, Duke Snyder helped me out a hell of a lot. He could have helped. Cranepool could have got help by Snyder if he would have asked for it because Snyder offered it. And he said, what do I want to take a lesson from an old fort like you for, an old man like you? Well, Snyder helped me. Every time I come off the field, there was a place on the bench, and he talked to me. I listened. So that was good. And then uh, when I got traded from the Mets, I thought that was kind of harsh. I was running up to Pete Rose rookie of the year. I was all-star two or four years, and then I busted my shoulder the third year and came back to play about 100 ball games, something like that. I don't know what I played. Anyway, I got a call in the wintertime saying I was traded to the Dodgers, and I thought that was pretty harsh. I thought I was going to be a Met all my life, you know, just because of the way I played the game. And I guess West Westrum and who's that owner? Uh, the guy. M. Don- M. Donald Grant. Who? Donald Grant. Donald Grant. I think yeah. I, I think he was a son. I think he. I think he's the one that screwed me because I had a little problem with him with my wife being pregnant and having a baby, and the women had to walk had to park on the third base line and walk all the way to the first base line to get their tickets outside the game, and he was cutting through the diamond club. So I went down there and I took my wife and their wives and went, we went through the diamond, uh, went through the main entrance to, to get the tickets. And I said, this is bullshit, Mr. Grant, Mr. Grant. I said, I think that's hard shit that these women got to walk around. So that's the way I said it. That's the way I meant it. So he traded you for that? You think that was the reason? I don't know. I think, well, I ran across Mrs. Payson. When I was a Dodger, came into town, she was sitting down next to the dugout, and I walked up, Mr. Payson, Ron Hunt, how are you? I said, I think it's pretty nasty that I got traded, nobody told me, nobody from the Mets called me. 
I said, well, did, did you know about it? She said, no, I didn't know about it. Yeah, every, everybody. Uh, that's, what, that's what she told me. She was a class act, I think, from everything I've heard. So I would well, believe her. Well, that's what I heard, too. So yeah. I, well, I'm not going to say I didn't believe her. Just saying that nobody called me from the mess. And she said, well, I didn't know that. Well, okay, fine. <laughs> so after that, we just played for the fans and the money. The owners, you never know what the owners are going to do or the, or the, or the guys that trade you. Because when I, when I was done with the Cardinals, the same general manager with the Mets was with the Cardinals. Bing Devine? They traded me. Bing Devine. He was going to trade me. He was going to cut me, cut me off. He called me in and said, we're going to release you. I said, well, that's all right. What are you going to do? I said, I'm going to go home. I said, give me my, he's going to offer me $5,000 severance pay. I said, well, I don't think that's right. So I got off the, I got all the way up and called Mar- Marvin Miller and asked him. He said, no, you believe you, you get 10000 So I went in the next day and the sergeant had a check for $10,000 made out to me. I said, you son of a bitch, you're going to me out of $5,000, right? And I took a 10 and walked out of on him. So I thought that was kind of hard. Too. Let me ask you something. After anyway, New, after New York, you played you you played with the Dodgers, then with the Giants, the Montreal Expos. What was your favorite team to play with besides the Mets? There wasn't one. But I just played for the fans and the money. The Dodgers I played for one year. I was the Giants. I played for three years. Now three years with the Giants, we should have won the pennant. That's the only thing I missed out of baseball. I never did get a chance to play postseason. Otherwise, I think I would have had a pretty good career. But I never did get a chance to play both seasons, and the Giants was a team that had the, had the stuff. And then we took off, I guess, the second year. We played in Japan for spring training, and it was colder than the witch's tit out there. And we all come back sick, and we went 0 for 10. Nobody could figure out why we went 0 for 10. I said, what? Why don't we have spring training where we're supposed to and go and go to those foreign countries during the off season? Well, they didn't like that too much, so I guess I got traded to the Expos. Dean Mock, uh, he's all right, but I didn't like him very much because I played the game on the field. I didn't play for people. I played for fans and myself. When uh, they traded me to the Cardinals, that was, a, that was a funny thing, too. I was in St. Louis sitting on the bench, one-run ball game, ninth inning, and, I, and we lose one to nothing. So I stay on the bench, and Mox stays on the bench with me. I said, what the hell's going on? He said, I don't know. So I walk inside, and my s*** already packed, and the general manager's there, whoever that was. I said, no, you don't come over here, otherwise I'll knock the s*** out of you. And that was a general manager for the Expos. can't remember. Anyway, I can't remember that one. Uh, I was. I thought that was kind of hard too. But anyway, I went home and that was it. I got a couple phone calls about Oakland wanted me to go to the minors. I said nope, I'm not going to the minors. Orioles called me. Hank Aaron called me, wanted me to manage in the minors. I said where 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 at? He said Johnson City, Tennessee. I said is that a bus league? He said sort of. I said I can go back no bus league. So I just quit and that was it. I just. Sit around the house and got a farm and raised some cattle. And then I started a baseball program, Ron Hunt Eagles Baseball Association. Did that for 18 years. Never pushed away one arm. Got about 98% of them in college with some kind of help. And then they started getting the rich kids in on corporate jets, and I'd become a pain in the ass because the parents were a pain in the ass. So I just quit, and that was it. But anyway, I paid. I got the. I got a payback. I paid back my old years to the. The fans and the kids that uh, 
I've taken that baseball program for 18 years. So Ron Hunt, 12-year Major League veteran, two-time All-Star, one of the Polo Ground Mets. Thank you for being on Connor's Corner. Well, thank you. And send me copies of that report now. Oh, we'll do that. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646, or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646, and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. For our Ask the Lawyer friends and listeners, you can attend any of Connors & Sullivan's free seminars on elder law, Medicaid, wills, and estate planning, and more. Yes, it's all free and all close to you. So come to Connors & Sullivan's free seminars. On Monday, April 23rd at the Greenhouse Cafe, 7117 3rd Avenue in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 p.m. At Buckley's, 2926 Avenue S in Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn, on Wednesday, April 25th at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 p.m. and on Thursday, April 26th at the Montauk Club, 25 8th Avenue in Park Slope, Brooklyn at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. Can't go to any Connors & Sullivan's free seminars? Then call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 for your own free office appointment. Make an educated decision on your estate and family legal solutions today. Just call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500. That's Connors and Sullivan, 718-238-6500, or go to connorsandsullivan.com. Find out what you're entitled to. Come to a Connors and Sullivan free seminar. For more information, call 718-238-6500 or go to connorsandsullivan.com. Connors and Sullivan. Plan now for later. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. Right now, we're very pleased to have Father Paul from the Middle East. How are you doing today, Father? I'm fine. Thank you very much. Happy Easter to all of you, my friends. It's, it's nice to see you and hear you again. You're a, a Capuchin friar, and some of the people out there know very well what that is. Some people don't. Can you explain it? Oh, absolutely. So Capuchin friar, which means I'm a member of the Franciscan movement. It's an order uh, like Padre Pio. 
and as a Franciscan friar, I'm also a physician, so I can uh, deal with such a nice combination, helping people uh, like physically and with spirituality. So it's uh, St. Francis uh, from Assisi order that I would love to stay in forever, like for the rest of my life. So that's basically what we are doing. We try to be with people and, and, and spreading goodwill all over the place. Now, your main mission right now is in Beirut, Lebanon? Yes, Beirut and Jordan at the same time, since we have so many refugees from from Syria. So we we actually switched to, uh, to a bigger uh, place, and we also keep our refugee camp in Lebanon. But we have, we have to operate in both of them, since we have so many refugees. The influx is just impressive. Now, of course, in the news fairly recently, we've been talking about Syria, the Assad regime, and chemical weapons. What can you tell the audience from your observations? Well, it's not for the first time. It's, uh, it's actually the third time. And but everyone, of course, everyone thinks, oh, it's just, you know, it's happening, but it's happening all the time. And, uh, you know, we have to act. Otherwise, if we if we keep our eyes um, closed, um, many people will suffer again. And, you know, the Syrian government, they they deny because that's what they do usually. But uh, you can see uh, all those people um, infected by by the chemical weapon, the the way they react, their their body system, their health. So, you know, um, ex-President um, Obama promised everyone that if they will use in Syria any chemical weapon, he's going to step in and and, um, and try to do something. He didn't. Now President Trump is finally doing something. So let's see how it goes. But yes, indeed, that's the reality of, of a lot of people in Syria. And I still I don't understand how the president of, of a country can just attack his own people. It just doesn't make sense at all. Are you certain he's behind the attacks? Well, uh, he has access to that chemical weapon. I know that, uh, you know, Russians and, you know, uh, United Nations, they try to kind of realize for one more time who actually gave him that opportunity and, and how he, he got the access. But he's the only one uh, having that opportunity just to, to let people know that he's the only one. He's not going to step uh, step out. He's not going to step down from his position. So, uh, yeah, that's his strategy. And his father actually did the same. So Sometimes he's not even been very nice to his own family. Yes, indeed. You know, he's supposed to be just, you know, a, a doctor and he graduated from a medical school in Damascus and after he went to London. But since his uh, brother died, I think he was kind of forced to, to, be, to be in charge. Even the parliament in Syria, they had to change their own constitution because he was very young back then. He was like 33 or 4. Uh, so they decided that he can also be a candidate for, uh, for pres- as a president. So um, it looks like, you know, it's a family tradition to be to be really um, against, uh, you know, their own people. And chemical weapon is just a, it's, it's just one, two of many that they, they try to use to just to traumatize Syrian population. And it's not like every single Syrian person is, is bad or against the government, but they try to kind of, you know, force them to think uh, that um, president of Syria will never step down. And he's covered by by Russian government as well. So, um, you know, chemical weapon, yes, it happened. That's the reality. But the thing is, he's not going to stop. He's not going to stop. Let me change the subject slightly. What is your mission? Yeah. What What is your job? My job is actually, it's, it's two jobs in, uh, I'm, I'm running a job within the job, which means as a capuchin friar, uh, yes, I'm, I'm happy to help people in a very spiritual way. As a physician, I, I try to like you know help them in a in a in a very practical way. 
So uh, that combination gives me that combination gives me an access to so many people from uh, you know to, to different backgrounds. But this is what I this is what I what, this is what I do. And being a Capuchin friar is not just uh, about prayers and and spirituality, but it's also about you know um, stand up for for some issues that are really important, especially if they're against human rights. So this is basically what I'm what I'm doing, and and it doesn't matter if I have uh, two, three, or five PhDs. It's all about at the end of the day, it's all about what I'm doing to to make people feel comfortable or or just feel better. Now I don't know if you saw the movie Paul uh, Apostle of Christ, but the film was dedicated to in part to the Christians in the Middle East. What is it like to be a Christian in the Middle East today? Oh, these days it's a very very heavy time. It's a very uh, confusing moment. Um, I'm afraid that Christians from the Middle East, they think that um, for Western Christians, they actually they don't exist. I think Christians from the Middle East, they, they think that they've been forgotten. Uh, I, I, I do my best. We do our best as Caption Friars to just let them know not you're not alone. But you know, the Western world um, is very quiet about what's going on with Christian um, with Christians in the Middle East. You know how many times uh, we've talked about um, uh, cults in Egypt, for example. They've been massacred uh, every day uh, for so long. Uh, we don't talk much about this in, in, in the Western media. So I think being a Christian in the Middle East, that's a courage. It's all about courage because if you if you cannot get a job, if you if your daily life it's all about struggle, and just because you're a Christian and in the name of Jesus Christ, everyone will persecute you. Yes, that's a very heavy uh, that's a very heavy life to follow up to. But um, it's it's hard for them to be to be Christians. But you know what, what amazes me even more? They always they're always good fighters, and they they would never give up just because somebody's offering something a better life. They would never give up their faith. So it's a sign to all of us, I think, for all of us to keep our faith and hope alive. But for them, that's a very daily struggle. So I I, I wish whoever whoever's listening to our conversation will at least once per week, for two minutes, pray for our Christians uh, from the Middle East from the Middle East, because they are really persecuted. Yes, they are, in the middle of the day. Obviously, you want their prayers, but how can they help otherwise? How can they help financially? Oh, there is there is a few options. There is, uh, you know, province, province of St. Mary uh, here, the Capuchin province, that people can send a donation uh, with with my name uh, and next to a memo, the, the mission for Christian in the Middle East. Um, they can also Google uh, things because we have a bunch of projects online as well available. Um, so there is also there is also an opportunity. They can always they can always see um, the website for um, doctors without borders or uh, physicians for human rights. I work with. So yeah, there is there is few options. There are a few options. The thing is, every time um, it's not just about money, but also it's about kind of. Uh, that awareness that something went wrong and, and something is happening against Christianity, not just in the Middle East, but also I think here in America, uh, Christianity is kind of in a, in a very uh, in a very dangerous spot now, being criticizing, uh, you know, for um, for no reason. So um, yeah, let let's just keep our hope alive. But you know, whoever wants to help, there's always a way. Yes, absolutely yes, and I'm really grateful for that. But we also need a spiritual support. We need it absolutely because it's getting worse and worse. We need to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes. We're t- speaking to Father okay. Paul Capuchin Friar.
Whether you need help with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, living will, or protecting your assets from nursing home costs, Connors & Sullivan's goal is always the protection of your rights and interests. The professionals at Connors & Sullivan have been helping people like you plan their estates and protect their families for over 30 years. I'm Mike Connors. Come to our office for a free initial consultation. Talk with me or one of our experienced attorneys to see how we can help you protect your family, your assets, and your legacy. There is no one strategy that fits everyone, but the biggest mistake when it comes to estate planning is no planning at all. Call Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law today to schedule a free initial consultation with an attorney at any of their convenient locations in Brooklyn, Midtown Manhattan, Queens, and Staten Island. 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500 or visit their website connorsandsullivan.com Hi, this is Patrick Wayne. I had the good fortune to be raised by a man of strength and courage, a man of true grit. My father, John Wayne, died of stomach cancer in 1979. And in his characteristic style, he ignored advice to keep his disease quiet and campaigned publicly to encourage preventive treatments. He inspired our family to carry on that mission. And today, the John Wayne Cancer Institute at Providence St. John's Health Center in Santa Monica, California, continues to take bold steps in cancer research. The John Wayne Cancer Institute has developed novel approaches to detect cancer, establishes therapies to boost the immune system to fight what my dad called the big C, and initiated less invasive surgeries. We've made significant advances in treating melanoma and breast cancer. All this has been made possible by my father's legacy of determination and a community of supporters who have helped expand upon that legacy. For more information, visit www.jwcigiving.org. The Guild for Exceptional Children, or GEC, has been providing excellent care to children and adults with developmental disabilities since 1958. It is our mission to help build better lives and brighter futures for the people in our care. We serve nearly 1,000 individuals each day and are proud that 90 cents of every dollar is used for actual services. Please visit www.gecbkly.com. Org, or call 718-833-6633 to learn more. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Welcome back to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. We're talking right now with F- Father Paul, and we talked about his mission in the Middle East. And I understand you're going to be testifying in, in Washington. What's that about? Yeah, yes, indeed. It's actually, it's interesting because last um, last week I received a phone call that there was a new committee um Senate Committee for um, for Human Rights um, and and uh, w- w- what just happened in Syria, and I was really nicely surprised that um, in, in such a you know, short uh, time we can set up a meeting in, in Washington D.C. and I can testify. So uh, since I have my own experience and and the reality is actually well known to me. Uh, what's going on in Syria now. So I'm happy to testify. It's going to be Wednesday at, at, at 10.30 morning and also Thursday. So And also I will have uh, two physicians that they will uh, come over from uh, from Jordan to testify about the whole situation. Uh, so, yes, that's impressive. And, 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 and I, I truly believe that um, if the committee will listen to us and will 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 make a statement, maybe something will change. So let's hope for the best for, for that um, Senate Committee Human Rights Commission. OK, we'll pray for the best. Now, you've been. Thank you. You've been originally you're from Europe, Poland, yes. France. What's the state yes. of affairs right now in, in Europe as far as refugees and Muslims and so forth? 
Mr. Connor, excellent question. So thank you for that. First, I'm happy that some of European countries, they just woke up and they decided, oh, I think we, we made a mistake. Uh, Angela Merkel um, uh, from Germany, she was apologizing in front of whole of the whole nation that she actually made some mistakes and she gave access to so many unknown um, so-called refugees and, and the situation in Germany is really catastrophic in France as well. But looks like both uh, governments, they just like woke up. So uh, what, what's wrong in Europe now? It's the, the way uh, the way the refugee system was managed. It was a little bit um, without control. And, and now they try to really fix it and they try to re-verify all those uh, applications. So it looks like Europe is, is finally thinking uh, realistically about what's going on. And it's not just about like empty sentences, uh, you know, and openness for everyone because your safety is also very important. So, and of course, if you invite any, any uh, foreigner into your country, you have to be safe in your own country. You have to feel safe. This is your home. This is your, this is your environment you grew up. Uh, in so uh, I think Europe now they they try to reanalyze what what just happened, what went wrong, and how we can uh, fix it. So let's hope for the best. But I'm I'm happy also that the UK government they also trying ver- uh, to verify all those applications again and and see what went wrong. So yeah, looks like there is a kind of uh, awareness now in Europe that uh, they went too far with uh, political correctness. And you know, political correctness it's. It's one of the kind of sometimes biggest mistakes that people uh, follow up to. I wonder why, but just now, you know, now they are apologizing. They, they they went too far. So good to hear it. Now, at the same time, you're trying to get some Christian refugees into the United States and so forth. Yes, but now it's it's way more. Um, the options, all options are way more available than before. And uh, even, in, let's say in Beirut or in Amman, a lot of Christian families, they can get visas, at least for a moment. Before, it was just like, you know, uh, on the blacklist. So, yes, I, I'm, I'm trying to do my best. And, and two cities, Philadelphia and Boston, were always very supportive to, to, to um, those projects. So uh, we try to do our best. And, and I think also in Europe, uh, a few countries like, like you know, uh, Poland, for example, they decided um, to to accept, especially Christian families, Christian refugees, which is also important because that's that's how they they they, they see things. So we try we try our best to to bring those families in, into a different world because if they have no future over there, it doesn't make sense to keep them because Christianity, it's not just about dying, but it's also about sharing. So let, let's see how it goes. See how it goes. You're saying it's easier now than it used to be? Yes, of course, because before they were giving a lot of uh, visas to non-Christian uh, families, if you know what I'm saying. So uh, that was kind of, you know, uh, uh, a very, very um, pro, uh, pro-Muslim families orientation. But uh, you, you cannot forget you also have, um, uh, you know, thousands of Christian families waiting for their, their own chance for, for their for their hope. So now finally they, they are seen and they're recognized. And uh, some governments, they do their best to, to adopt that policy that Christian families are also important. If they need help, yes, that help will, will be provided to them. Now, the, the other Middle Eastern countries, Islamic countries, how many refugees are they taking, taking in? <laughs> Zero. <laughs> Zero, Mr. Connell. Imagine Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Bahrain, Dubai. They didn't accept uh, their own brothers and sisters. Don't you think it's kind of interesting to even analyze they did not accept even one family as refugees in their own in their own country. So uh, it's all about Europe and and sending people to Europe. 
and also they they are willing to pay um, a lot of money for mosques and kind of you know Islamic culture houses, but they they weren't you know uh, they weren't capable of of accepting their own brothers and sisters in in Dubai or Saudi Arabia, and that's that's kind of shocking to me. Why Europe has to be only responsible for for uh, keeping refugees alive? Why why uh, in the Middle East not even one country has accept uh, those refugees that's that's kind of that that tells you a lot about political uh kind of statement from the arab league um all right one last time yes. people yes. that want to learn more about your mission or whatever where they can make contributions can you repeat that again oh so uh province of saint mary it's a capuchin friars province here in, in in new york um in the united states so they can always send a donation with uh with my name next to the memo uh, Father Paul Bieleki, B-I-E-L-E-C-K-I. They can also uh, Google our website. They can also go through um, some research through Doctors Without Borders or uh, Physicians for Human Rights, or just email me, which is very easy because it's beirutpaul at gmail.com. Beirut, Paul, my name, P-A-U-L, at gmail.com. If anyone needs... Um, and ex- explanations or, or some extra information. Uh, so yeah, it is it is available. Um, but you know, again, it's really important to have a spiritual support. It's really important because I truly believe that that make that makes sense and that that helps a lot. So thank you very much for the opportunity and for that interview because that's how people can learn a little bit more about what's going on in the, in the Middle East with Christianity. And by the way, I think you're you're giving a mass on May 18th, or saying a mass on May 18th at Our Lady of Angels, 74th Street and 4th Avenue in Brooklyn. Yes, Bay Ridge. Absolutely, I have been invited by uh, by my very dear uh, friends from Carlos and Sullivan. So thank you very much for that. And yes, Our Lady of Angels, May 18th, uh, we have our mass. I think it's 4 p.m. or 4 p.m. 30. I don't know. 4 p.m., yes, uh, Our Lady of Angels, Bay Ridge. Uh, and that's going to be amazing because that will, for me that will be a, an opportunity to meet uh, all of you and, and, and uh, our other friends to talk about what's going on in, in, in the Middle East. So thank you for that opportunity as well. And thank you for not being politically correct. We appreciate it. And I love it. <laughs> and I love it. Yes, you need to have a green card, but, you know, I don't have to lie. I don't have to, you know, pretend that, you know, I, I have a different mindset. No, this is what's going on and this is what has to be done. And, and I'm very proud that uh, now we can finally talk about it without being afraid of. Okay. Thank you, Father Paul. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Have a, have a great day and have a blessed, blessed Easter time because we still celebrate Easter. So God bless you all. Thank you very much, my friends. Thank you. Again, thank you to Father Paul for all he's doing around the world. Again, if you want to meet Father Paul in person on May 18th at Our Lady of Angels Church, 74th Street and 4th Avenue in Brooklyn, in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, one block from our main office, Father Paul is going to be saying Mass. It's open to the public, and you can get a chance to talk to him after the Mass is finished. And then we're going to go over to our office here on 74th Street and 5th Avenue, one block away, and Father Paul will hang around and talk to the talk to you and, and answer any questions that he can answer within his capabilities. And he really is one of the most brilliant people on the face of this earth. You know, like he talked about, well, it doesn't matter if you have three doctorates. Of course, he has three doctorates. That's, you know, he may say it doesn't matter, but he speaks obviously English. We hear him in English, but French, Polish, Italian, Persian, Arabic. He translates the Quran from Arabic to Persian. He's a medical doctor, very remarkable human being. And if, if you want to 
meet him. I encourage you, come by on May 18th, 4 o'clock at Our Lady of Angels. Everybody's welcome. It's a very big church. I don't think we have to worry about how many seats are there, whatever. It's a, it's a huge church, so don't worry about calling in or doing something. You can just show up. You're more than welcome. If you can't make it, fine. But if you can make it, it's worth the experience, you know, because Father Paul is one of those special people, you know, on this earth. And of course, I can't say enough about Ron Hunt because, you know, Ron Hunt was one of my favorite ball players when I was young. I always thought, again, like we said, he should have been Rookie of the Year back in, in 1963. He had better offensive stats than Pete Rose. He had better defensive stats than Pete Rose, but Pete Rose had more publicity because Pete Rose would run to first base when he walked. So for that reason, he walks to first base. He runs to first base. When he gets a walk, he gets elected Rookie of the Year. Obviously, Pete Rose was a much better ball player over the years. But nobody tried or played any harder than Ron Hunt. This month, we're going to be doing seminars. Again, you'll hear the times and places, but we're going to be in Brooklyn, in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn, Park Slope, Brooklyn. Monday, April 23rd, Bay Ridge, Brooklyn at 77th Street and 3rd Avenue at the Greenhouse Cafe. Wednesday, April 25th, we're going to be at Buckley's Avenue S. And on Thursday, April 26th, we're going to be in Park Slope at the Montauk Club. If you miss the times and places on our commercials, give us a call at our office at 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. I guess it's time for David Kincaid to take us away. This we are gathered here on hallowed ground. The voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. We are gathered, we are gathered here on hallowed ground. The voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.